Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your Motorsports Insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for a season finale episode of IndyCar Weekly. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack Harvey, who uh, for one more week at least is the driver of the number 60 Meyershank Racing Honda. Um, we've got a great episode for you guys. We got uh, a look at next year's 2022 IndyCar schedule. We had a spectacular race at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca to talk about. And of course, looking forward to the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach this year's season finale on the streets of Long Beach later on this weekend on Sunday afternoon. Jack, um, I know you've had a chance to stay out here in Southern California, as I look out my window, it is uh, pretty hazy and foggy. I um, hope you have a, a little bit better weather to uh, enjoy. Maybe one last day of uh, Southern California as a, a tourist, as we might say, before you get into race mode. How are you doing? I'm doing good, mate. I'm, I'm actually just kind of looking out, and if I take a bit of a glance to the right, I can see the Venice, uh, Venice Beach Broadwalk. And it's sunny, still a little hazy, but it's sunny and warm. So uh, maybe a slight upgrade on the all weather conditions. Yeah, it's I'm so I'm uh, in Ventura. Um, I got here Monday night, uh, and it's I, I know from experience. I, I know I lived in Southern California for three years, and I came to Ventura a couple of times to go take a boat to visit Channel Islands National Park, and this area in particular, for whatever reason. Um, I, I guess kind of like Monterey in lots of ways where it um, I think is really, really hazy and foggy and misty in the morning and that kind of burns off in the afternoon. Um, although it didn't really much yesterday, to be honest, I was stuck inside my room working um, pretty much all yesterday on a handful of things. But um, excited to get down to Long Beach later on this evening. We're taping on Wednesday morning. We've got uh, a big luncheon um for i think most of the drivers uh, where we'll have a press conference um among the championship contenders on thursday and then of course we hit the trek friday with practice kind of your more traditional indycar uh road and street schedule for this weekend at long beach but um before we get there uh let's even take a step back we'll um talk a little bit first about uh, the big news that came out before last weekend's race even got underway, we got news of the 17 race uh, 2022 schedule for next year. Some surprises, uh, a couple of, I mean, really surprises for me in particular um, as someone who had a pretty good idea about how all of this was shaking out in the days leading up to it. I personally was expecting an 18 race calendar. Um, we got 17, large in part due to the Detroit Grand Prix uh, becoming just a one race weekend instead of two that it had been for nearly a decade. Um, we've got a, a schedule that starts, I think, as early as it has since 2003, I think was the year. We've got a, a February 27th season opener at St. Pete. Schedule ends um, a week earlier than scheduled for this year, and I think two weeks scheduled two weeks earlier than what it will actually end this year um, with season finale in Laguna Seca. And lots of exciting stuff in between. Um, Jack, what was you, what was the, the I guess the biggest surprise that stood out to you um, for next year's schedule? I think most of the first race being in February. 
um, <laughs> you know, I think it was the season always starts early in, in North America, but uh, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting move uh, on IndyCar's part to, you know, have the first few races so spread out, and then the rest of the season is so condensed. Uh, you know, because even like you said, I know St. Pete was delayed this year, but I mean, the, the start time next year is even earlier than what it was meant to be, you know, in, uh, in 21 and the season's going to finish, you know, a couple of weeks sooner. Um, so then you look at the schedule and you're like, Oh, okay. Like it must be, you know, kind of similar in, in spacing. And actually it's, it's not, you know, the first three seem very spread out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know there's so many things that we don't know that, you know, go into having to make the schedule what it is and, you know, try and work for, so many different parties, you know, I, I, I would never want that job. You know, I have to preface that. I would never want that job. Um, you know, and I will say that I think I love all the tracks we're going to, uh, you know, great to see Iowa back on there as a track I really enjoyed going to. Um, obviously hopeful that we finally get back to Toronto because it's been a few years, but uh, yeah, it's kind of, there's like a weird ebb and flow to the season and um Hopefully the that's just a temporary thing for for next year where it's just you know one a month until it really kicks off in uh, in May. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, I know. I, one of the first things that Roger Penske mentioned in his November fourth press conference in 2019, announcing that he had um, taken over IMS as well as the IndyCar series, was about trying to find date equity on the calendar. And I think I mean we've got. Again, a, a somewhat significantly different schedule, not necessarily in tracks, but in track dates for next year for several races. Um, I think the, in terms of, of hoping that we see some sort of consistency, I do think given um, the fact that IndyCar was able to get 14 races on network TV for next year out of the 17, which is, is a pretty spectacular feat. Um, I, I have not gone through and looked at this specifically, but I believe NASCAR maybe only has that many, um, you know, in terms of their, their half of their season that's on NBC and NBC sports this year. I'm not sure that they have 14 of those, you know, whatever it is, 18 or 19 races on network TV. So, um, a really cool thing for IndyCar, but I do think, um, though someone hasn't told me this outright, I, I think it it's, it's hard not to look at this and think that a lot of that early season, um, kind of like the, the lack of momentum that we're going to see has to be large in part due to what Windows NBC had available for IndyCar on Sunday or early afternoons. We haven't seen the the start times, but that just seems like everything is pointing in that direction. Otherwise, I don't know why you would have um, three weeks in between races one and two, two and three, and three and four. Uh, we it, it's I I know IndyCar and, and Mark Miles in particular, who I spoke with ahead of the schedule release, um, is very excited about having the first six races all on network TV. Um, this year we had four of the first six and I think six of the first eight. So in that sense, um, not talking about what dates these races are and how segmented the start is outside of the month of May, um, you you could certainly convince me that you're able to build a good amount of momentum off of all of this content on network TV, along with, of course, the two days of qualifying for the Indy 500. But when these races are so spread out, um, you've got one race in February, one race in March, one race in April. <coughs> um, I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine that you're going to see considerable momentum just because these races are on NBC. Because I think the key for IndyCar is capturing these casual fans um, that decide either decide, you know what, you know, I'm not a big IndyCar fan, but I'm going to make an effort to give this race at Texas or the St. Pete race or Barber or Long Beach or wherever um, a chance or, you know, or you have someone that's surfing channels and they decide to stay and watch the IndyCar race when you've 
the the diehard fans are going to tune into these races no matter what. They're going to know what dates, what times, and whatever. But it's much harder to capture a fan who happens across an IndyCar race, um, you know, say for the Texas Motor Speedway race on March 20th, and then get them to think, hey, I really enjoyed watching this. I want to tune in for the next IndyCar race. When is it? Oh, it's not for another three weeks. It's, you know, the next race after March 20th will be the Acura Cranberry of Long Beach on April 10th. Uh, it's just, it's a little frustrating. I, I will say, hopefully, we will see next year um, in the second year of IndyCar having this many races on network that the series and the broadcast partner are able to work better and find a little bit better way for IndyCar to build up into the Indy 500. Um, and that's why I say we'll see if uh, if date equity actually holds from some of these first few races um i certainly hope not i you know if if they do i would hope that maybe you'd find a way to maybe shuffle things back or forward a week and find a, a fifth race venue that would be willing to host a race like a homestead for example um i do think that idea was approached this year and were essentially rebuffed um i know that that would you know that might lead to having 18 races and it does seem like indycar is really keen on keeping it down to 17 for teams expenses um but it does seem like if you're going to have i mean what like 10 weeks in between races one and race you know race one and race four if you could have five races in that span i think this would seem a lot different um so we'll see how that goes moving forward otherwise um, as you, as you mentioned, it's going to be a, a, a pretty busy stretch for this team, for these teams, particularly the last, what, the last half of the year. I think you've got eight races and nine weekends, um, seven weekends on track overall in that stretch. It's going to be really, um, really brutal time for, for some of these crews. That will be an exciting time for fans where it will seem like IndyCar is on TV just about every single weekend like NASCAR is at that point. Um, yeah, so... Lots of positives, um, but I think some of the positives also have led their way into producing some of the negatives, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think the hope in that, obviously, is, like you mentioned, that someone who maybe is a casual fan stumbles onto it, mm -hmm. likes it, and wants to come back. You know, clearly that's the hope, is that, you know, by, by being on network TV, um, it generates, a you know, just a bigger... Uh, fan base, you know, for for the series on the whole. So hopefully, hopefully it works out very well. Um, unlike anything, you know, there's always a an up and a downside. Uh, you know, and ultimately you have to you can't sit on the fence forever. You know, you might as well make a a decision and see how it works. And I think they've taken the one that, in terms of trying to grow the series, one they clearly feel is the most opportunistic. Let's say. Um, so we'll wait and see, mate. I mean, you know, ultimately, I think everyone's going to be happy with all the tracks that are on the schedule. Um, it's going to be another great year of IndyCar racing of that, I'm sure. So a lot of overriding feelings of positivity with a few obvious little bits that maybe weren't perfect, but, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. Yep, agreed. Um... I think it was it was interesting to see that Detroit um, race weekend slimmed down from one to two. I think that's oh, that's cool. That yeah, that's so as a tool. I, I guess you know you know it's 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 kind of an interesting thing as you know Penske Corp uh, certainly owned Penske Entertainment Corp, which owns the IndyCar series, uh, and Penske Corp also of course serves as the promoter of um, the Detroit Grand Prix at Belle Isle. And so they kind of have, you know, in a in a roundabout way, the folks that own the series also promote that race. So if you feel like the um, resounding ask from teams is that they really want to be at 17 races instead of 18, um, I, I guess that was probably the easy race to take away. It is a little bit of a bummer because I do think, you know, we've had lots of talks about double headers over the last 18 months. I do think 
from from my perspective, and it may be a little bit different from yours or teams, um, it seems like that was the one that really truly worked. I don't think I don't think you have a a, a, a good history moving forward with say one at Texas um, or really probably any ovals to that effect. And I don't know that there's any other road or street course that needs a doubleheader, but it did seem like by having two races. Um, that weekend, it, it helped differentiate it from, say, um, you know, the the Long Beach weekend, for example, which is also um, shared with IMSA, but IndyCar just has one race, um, one race at. I thought it was interesting. It was it was fun to have, you know, teams for at least one weekend a year have a race, be able to go back and learn, you know, see what you learned make some changes and then go out for another race the next day. Um, it'll be a little bit sad to see that go, but I guess it's the, you know, maybe it's the price to pay to say, have a, a double header at, at Iowa, um, which I know from what I've heard, there's some mixed feelings on, but generally speaking, just glad that we'll be able to be back at Iowa and that that's what we have to have, you know, have to have a, a double header in order to make sense for the folks that own that speedway, um, then, uh, then I guess maybe generally speaking, ha- glad to, to see us be able to go back there. Um, let's see anything else that sticks out to you for the, on the schedule before we head on to Laguna Seca. Uh, no, probably not. I mean, like you, I, I thought Detroit only being one race was uh, an interesting move. I actually was always confused why Detroit was a double header. Like before we even did double headers, it was always a double header. Um, and it was funny because when we saw the schedule announced, I actually said to my engineer, "Well, that's going to change, you know, the, the whole approach to that weekend." You know, because normally it's the case of like, you know, practice as well as you can. Obviously, have a good first qualifying, have a you know, good first race. And then I think typically you see people throw a bit more caution to the wind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on day two. So it'll be interesting to see how that weekend is just different now, you know, having a bit more practice time probably. So then obviously move into just a single event. And the thing about double headers, really, it completely depends how your weekend goes as to whether you like double headers. You know, there's mm-hmm. been times where we have, you know, had two really strong races and been like, oh, we wish it was a triple header, you know. <laughs> and there's been times where it sucks, you know, actually like I had Detroit this year, and you're like, God, that would have been great if it was only one race, you know, just to kind of stop the bleeding. But, um, I, I mean, I, I, again, this is why I don't know all the different parts because, it, you know, I think it's really cool to have a double header at Iowa, but, I mean, double headers on ovals, I think, uh, you know, maybe even tougher than double uh, headers on, um, you know, street circuits or road courses. Mm-hmm. And I've, I kind of got the sense that, that that became a thing, you know, I know obviously we're still, you know, in the, uh, you know, COVID pandemic, but there were so many races that dropped off the schedule last year that that was the only way to like boost the race count back up again. You know, and in some ways, like I don't think many people before last year would have really have entertained an idea of a double header on an oval. Um, where now, obviously, that is it's much more accepted. You know, I think by the drivers, the teams, um, it, it just puts a lot of pressure on those weekends now to go and do a good job. Uh, and I know that sounds a super obvious thing to say, but it's true. You know, essentially, it's a double points weekend. You know, and if, if if you're in a championship battle or anything like that and you have a stormer and your championship rivals don't, I mean, you can pull out a big gap over one weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think Detroit only being one race was a surprise, probably. Uh, but I also was confused why it even was a doubleheader in the first place, so maybe it's not that much of a surprise. And then, um, yeah, I obviously I'd, I'd read all the rumors that Iowa was going to be a doubleheader to... Um, so no, no big surprise there, but uh, yeah, I think. Well, I, I always think it'd be interesting instead of asking the drivers what they think of the schedule is, you know, asking like the mechanics on the team and you know more people from the team because you know really the drivers get it pretty good. I mean, we you know get to do our normal prep in the week, fly into the weekend, do what we love to do, and that's race, you know, um, and then go home and get to chill. Where a lot of them are 
mechanics and a lot of the uh, you know guys and girls on the team, no matter what department they're in, go back, go straight back to work to try and turn the car around and get prepared for the next race. Um, you know, so I guess I'd be more interested in hearing what what they have to say about the schedule when they look at it because you know that little bit of a break at the start of the season might help them to be organised for what's coming later. And um, yeah, I think it'd be fun just to hear. Not the perspective of the drivers on that. No, I think yeah, it's a good point. And you made you mentioned something that you know it might be interesting to see or or hear from someone on on the crew or engineers' perspective on you know if we have these this really like segmented start to the year, if that then helps you know say say you can take something from you know the Saint Pete weekend and have a little bit more time to transfer that knowledge that you take from St. Pete to prepare you for the the street courses for the rest of the year at say, you know, Detroit, Toronto and and Long Beach, um, rather than having to rush right into race two of the year. Um, so we'll see see where that pans out. Um, but for now we've still got uh, two more races to to talk about um, on this year's 16 race calendar, the first of those being uh, the Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Lagoon Seca this past weekend, won by Colton Herta, who, uh, after, with with two races held at that track, um, the the last being 2019, um, the first time that IndyCar had been there in, I think, a decade or more, um, has, has led 94% of the, um, I think it was what 95 races on sun or 95 laps on sunday and i think it might have been 90 the year before so out of 185 laps i believe colton has led something like 174 or something like that um pretty amazing great uh pretty dominant win although it got a little bit close at times alex polo was hot on his tail for much of the race after i believe starting fourth he went on to finish second um which really helped his uh, push for his potential championship that will be decided this weekend at Long Beach. Uh, and maybe perhaps the, the biggest story of the day, just in terms of uh, a really wowing, spectacular, exciting on-track performance, was uh, Romain Grosjean, who finished third after starting 13th. A really incredible uh, surge up the grid over the... Um, the final, what, 20 laps or so was, I think, his final stint. Um, it was a really cool video that the IndyCar social media team put together that showed all of his passes from, I think, eighth place up to third um, over that closing stretch that I would encourage you to go and watch. Um, let's let's maybe talk about those three first. Which, which would you say, you know, having been part of the race and maybe had a chance to watch the race back, which of those folks um, were you most impressed by coming off of Sunday's race? Uh, probably the order in which you said them. Okay. Honestly. I think to see, you know, to, to be obviously be teammates with Colton or pseudo teammates with him, he just, it seems like he does in Nashville. He just, he gets in this zone and this role and I mean, he's just going to win. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it's it's incredible, really. Um, I think to see a driver go to a track two years in a row and just, like, so dominate. Um, I don't get me wrong, he's obviously been pushed extremely closely, you know, and... Oh, I don't even know how to say it. It, it just, in them places, just better than everybody else. You know, mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no other way to say it. Um, you know, and it's it's really it's it's really frustrating, frankly. Uh, you know, to watch him, you know, do some of these things with such ease, like he does. Um, you know, and I'm I'm just really thinking about like Nashville. Just it was just so much quicker than everyone all weekend. Um, you know, along with then Laguna, and you know, I think in a field that this that's as competitive as it is, the fact that anybody can go and just dominate a weekend in that fashion, I think, is you know truly amazing um you know and i know the the herters as a family have a you know incredible record you know at laguna seca as well with with brian and whatnot um you know but to lead that many laps you know to really i would say have the race under control 
Uh, I did get a bit tasty there at the start, I would say, between him and <laughs> him and Alex. But uh, that was just a bit of a weird deal. You know, I think that was just the case of there was no malice in there. I mean, I know those guys are, you know, very close. And certainly I know Alex wouldn't, you know, ever well, try and crash or take a teammate out or anything like that. So that was just really unfortunate how that, you know, seemed to end his race. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think... Colton's performance to me in in Laguna Seca was a standout performance. Um, you know, I think followed by Alex Palou, you know, because you have to remember, and I have been in championship battles, so I know the mindset and the pressure that goes with it. And I mean, he just doesn't seem to feel it in some way or doesn't show that he feels it because, you know, he started fourth and finished ahead of where he had started. Uh, you know, had great pace, was definitely pushing Colton. Um, you know, and this is on a weekend where I would, would have thought that you would typically see someone now maybe starting to get tense, maybe not have as good a weekend. And he had a great weekend, you know, and really he pulled, he extended his gap on all of his championship competitors, which I thought was a incredible showing of his mental strength as well as anything else. Um, beat all his teammates, and uh, yeah, that's why I thought his was his was impressive because of what is or what's on the line at the moment and what was on the line all weekend, really, at Laguna. You know, he still did a, a really great job, you know, dealt with the pressure very well. And um, yeah, I think it was uh, very impressive what uh, what he managed to do. And then moving into obviously what Remain did, uh, you know, and. I saw his clothes. I, I thought some of his moves were getting close to being like beyond bold. You know, I mean, he just yeah. kind of like ran into like Jimmy, you know, in in the middle. And don't get me wrong, I thought it was a it was a good move. But in the same breath, I'm like, you just kind of crashed into the guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I don't I don't know where we draw the line in terms of like what was a great move or what was just you know unnecessary contact at that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I bet you know, I bet race control by. was feeling really. Uh, I don't. I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for race control to see what was being said right after that move was made in the corkscrew with seven laps to go. Um, because in, you know, because no, no one wants to stop the flow of the race. Yes, you know, and he he was clearly on a charge. That's that's fine, you know. But I think. I think IndyCar in the off-season from the stewards' department need to decide what level of racing is okay and what is not. Because I would say this year, every time, he's had some amazing moves, you know, and he's always in the in the social media about it. But he's had more than a few moves this year that have been, to me, beyond what is acceptable in IndyCar racing without any repercussion. Mm-hmm. No, um, you know, so I thought his performance was incredible, you know, to, to be that far back at the end and be that fast uh, was, was, you know, extremely, extremely impressive. And I thought his other moves were great. You know, I thought his racing with Dixon was incredible when I watched it back, you know, really hard and fair by both people. I just think there's a couple of moves in there that, you know, I don't know, I think should be looked at. And I think IndyCar needs to decide what level of racing is going to be deemed acceptable, um, you know, and which, and what is, what is too far? Because I've, I've seen people get drive-through penalties for moves like that, you know, because I would say in our pre-event, you know, drivers meet and they say that the needle of responsibility is on the overtaking car and he essentially like pushed Jimmy off in the corkscrew where he had to go over the curb, you know, so... I don't know. I think clearly it's it's racing. It's hard racing. I just think IndyCar are, are probably going to have to start to decide what level of racing they deem is okay. It almost seems as if, and I, I think back to Nashville. I think in some ways on this, it almost seems as if the penalties come when there is truly a crash and where a driver is actually um you know where say the car that is being overtaken um that is you know not necessarily causing the contact 
actually, you know, either has to be towed or is stopped on course and therefore, you know, there's a yellow that comes out. It seems like in some ways in those situations, the penalties come when when it causes a yellow flag rather than sure. with a similar type uh, or similar level of contact, I guess I would say. And I don't, I, and I, I do agree with you. I think if you're IndyCar, I think you can't be as reactionary as they are in those instances because theoretically if i mean in jimmy's case that that level of contact certainly you know could have you know led to him spinning and he was able to keep control of the car and and keep it from doing so and really i mean props to him for being able to do that (laughs) in lots of ways him you know not spinning there and not bringing out a yellow flag helped the race continue on the flow that it had been the whole time. It would have been a shame if we, you know, throw a yellow with seven laps to go there and all of a sudden Colton, you know, is on the brink of potentially having his race win taken away from him because of that move that was then essentially caused by Grosjean. And then I would imagine probably in that sense, knowing how IndyCar has officiated the rest of this year that, you know, had, that incident caused a yellow, maybe then Grosjean is, is forced to go on a, a drive through. Uh, but maybe Pelot then still has a better chance to win the race. I don't know. It's That's all um, hindsight. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's also interesting um, having watched, I think it was even just in watching that Grosjean social media segment, there were a couple cars in which he passed that were told, you know, the cars that weren't on the lead lap that were told, hey, um, Grosjean's behind you, you're being told by IndyCar that you have to get over and let him by. And I don't know why, and maybe you understand this, maybe you don't, I don't know, why in some instances where a car is being lapped by, say, the third place car, you know, they don't have any chance at getting back on the lead lap at this point, why sometimes those cars are told by race control to let a car go by and why in other instances like Jimmy, for example, who was told over his radio um, to, you know, fight Grosjean as much as possible so that he couldn't catch up to Polo and possibly pass him before the race was over with. Why, you know, say Jimmy, for example, wasn't told by race control in that instance to, uh, to let Grosjean by without, without incident. Uh, I'd be curious to know if you have any perspective on that. Well, I think the two, just in those two situations, kind of, I think the agenda of them are two are different. Uh, the, the typical command blue flag is what we call it, is mm-hmm. when IndyCar tells you to basically move out of the way is when you are a lap down to the entire field. Uh, if you're just a lap down to the leader and you're right behind the leader, you are allowed to barely fight to get your lap back. Okay. Um so the command blue only really should be in effect for drivers and teams who are a lap down to the entire field, basically. Okay. So without a caution, you're not going to get back on the lead lap. Um, so if everybody was a lap down at that point, it would make sense to probably move out of the way of the guys who are battling for a good position because in truth there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you've got a good day brewing and getting stuck behind someone who for whatever reason isn't having a great day and then it put your race in jeopardy or the guys behind the catching you up or it takes an opportunity away from you being able to uh, you know try and move forward still so that's that's the only reason in which IndyCar should get involved and command blue flag you to pull aside Okay. Uh, maybe maybe Grosjean was in that instance that I'm thinking of. Maybe he was passing Rossi, possibly, and Rossi I think at that point might have been lapped down to the entire field. So that might have then been the instance where sure. he was given that blue flag flag roll. That that makes more I mean, sense. That makes that would that would make sense. Uh, and then the other part of that is you know potentially why Jimmy was told to race him was to protect. Palou, right? Because I mean, if he can hold him up, you know, for a lap or, you know, half a lap or whatever, and it's, you know, six tenths, you know, if it's a second, if it's two seconds, three seconds or whatever, 
you know, and that gives his teammate a buffer. Well, I mean, that's just, you know, that's a, a nicely tied teammate, I would say, you know, and I don't know if team orders are allowed, if they're frowned upon, you know, whatever, but, you know, the, the same example is, you know, when I was behind Colton at the end of the race, I moved out of his way, you know, as quickly as possible to not impede him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because in that moment, a good result for the team really is a good result, you know, for everybody. And um, I think that they are two, two different things because, you know, in that moment, if, if the shoe had been on the other foot, I, I certainly would have perhaps have got a, a call on the radio to say, hey, like, protect our boy, you know, or something like that. I don't know. It would have been, it would have been a, an interesting one, but um, that is the, in our driver's meeting, that is the official command blue flag uh, requirement. Okay. That, uh, and certainly I don't, I don't question. Uh, I, I think it's probably Scott Pruitt that's on Jimmy's radio. I don't remember for sure if he's, if that is his job along with just kind of with being a driver coach or not, but if it is Scott, um, certainly have no doubt why he would have told Jimmy to uh, to hold Grosjean off there. I just was a little confused on why you know maybe IndyCar wouldn't have come on and, and given him the blue flag. But now that all is cleared up and makes uh, a lot more more sense to me. A little bit farther down the board, we had um, Pato Award finishing fifth, dropping um, in this case ten points to Alex Pillow in the championship hunt. He now sits. 35 points back of the Chip Ganassi racing driver headed into Long Beach. Certainly a uh, really tough ask for that team. Uh, not impossible, but uh, a really tough ask to, to try and, um, you know, pull out the, the necessary circumstances to try and win this championship this year. We saw um, Joseph Newgarden come somewhat close last year. He, he won the race. Um, I think I, I don't remember if he got the bonus points for leading the most laps. Not obviously led a lap, won the race, did not start on pole, but um, did everything, just about everything he had to do to make up what I believe was a 32 point gap on Scott Dixon. Um, but Dixon finishing third, if I remember correctly, um, essentially kept him from being able to close things off had Dixon, I think finished, you know, whatever it was like ninth or 10th. Um, that would have been a different story. And that's essentially what Pato needs to have happen this weekend. I did, uh, the necessary number crunching, uh, immediately following the race for, uh, those listeners, uh, not to have to, um, and essentially what, Pato needs, uh, among several different, although fairly related scenarios, is he essentially needs to win the race um, to have a realistic chance. Doing so, depending on the number of bonus points that he collects, would mean that if Alex Pillow finished somewhere in the 12th to 15th range, um, depending on bonus points for both drivers, that um, Pato would have a chance to come back and, and make up his 35-point deficit and win the championship. He does lose on, I think, all of the tiebreakers to Alex were Pato to win this weekend. They both have three wins, um, which would then go to second-place finishes, and I believe Alex has two this year and Pato only has one. So he will have to make up at least 36 points this weekend in order to um, have a shot, and all Alex has to do is finish 11th or better, which in the 15 races this year, he has done so uh, 11 times. One of those times he didn't came from uh, Detroit when he started last due to an engine penalty. uh, And I think worked his way up to maybe 15th. Two of the other times happened um, at the MS road course race number two, where his engine blew near the end of the race and he dropped to 27th. And the other instance was the uh, incident at Worldwide Technology Raceway, where he was involved in a three car crash and finished uh, somewhere around 20th or so. So um, uh, as you might say, yes, there is still uh, a chance, though it's, it's not a great one. And I would also say from these past two weekends, not only does Alex have the odds on his side, but certainly also feels like he has the 
the momentum as well. Pato has finished 14th and 5th over the last couple weekends, and I think in lots of ways feels like their car might not have had a whole lot more going for them given how both of those races panned out and and on the other end of things Alex finished first and second so um any thoughts you have on how this championship race is is shaping up uh <laughs> this is what I said last week this is what I'm excited about you know is all the possible scenarios in which it would take for all title contenders to win you know, and I think ultimately that Alex clearly is in the driving seat. You know, he has a you know a, quite a big margin, I would say, at this point. Um, and what it allows the other guys to do is just go and push as hard as they can with one very simple, clear goal, and that's to win the race. You know, mm-hmm. for 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 Pato, for Joseph, like every scenario you're going to talk about is going to be well. You know, I think I saw that it was. You know, Pato has to finish 11th and worse. Uh, sorry, Alex. Yeah, Alex has to finish 11th and worse, but Pato has to win. And yeah. like the, the every every scenario, it's like, well, Alex has to do this bad. It always assumes that the other person then wins the race. Uh, so there's an immense amount of pressure, I would say, for everybody now, really, who's on the uh, on the grid. Uh, you know, and battling and fighting for uh, the championship, but ultimately you kind of can't help but feel it's at this moment it's it's very much in favor you know for, for Alex Palou and uh, everyone at Chip Ganassi racing and you know they've done such a good job all year I think Laguna was a great example of how they stayed extremely cool under pressure and you know put extended the lead Pato's been great all year and you know he's going to push all the time and honestly I think I said it before I mean, Joseph just, you just, until he's out of it, he is never out of it, mm-hmm. you know, and okay, two, two weird qualifying sessions that he's had, which we also have had, which has been odd, um, you know, I think both of us have qualified very well this year, but in the last two weekends have qualified, you know, quite poorly, um, weirder things have happened, you know, and I think right now, if you're Alex, you feel like your destiny is in your hands. Uh, you know, if you're Pato or Joseph, you you know, you, you need some help, most likely, you know, to close the gap. But um, this is what I guess, you know, this just being a, you know, a fan, you know, being a fan of IndyCar racing and, you know, obviously, in all fairness, liking all three of the guys, you know, fighting for it. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun and interesting, you know, final race of the season like it always is, um, you know, and seen plenty of yellow flags in Long Beach be favorable and not favorable for a lot of people so uh, it's going to be it's going to be one of them races where everyone should be watching all the way to the end because you just never quite know you know what's going to happen and um, that also is going to make it you know pretty interesting so yeah you know I I think it's just going to be a really fun weekend to watch. Yeah, as you mentioned, Joseph is indeed not out of the fight. Um, I don't have my championship scenarios on on hand, but essentially what he needs uh, is to maximize bonus points this weekend, win the race, as he did last year in St. Pete. Um, we'll give him that. And I think if I remember right, he finished um, runner-up uh, two years ago at Long Beach in 2019 in a race that Alexander Rossi pretty much thoroughly dominated. Um, as he's done each of the last two times that IndyCar has been uh, on the streets of Long Beach in 2018 and 2019. Um, So he has a chance, but essentially what would have to happen is Alex Pillow would need to finish. I mean, it's like 20, uh, what would it probably be? Like like 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, something like that. So he would need to either have a massive mechanical issue um that you would assume that chip ganassi racing wouldn't just simply would not allow to have happen with so much on the line this weekend or um he would need to be collected in some sort of uh an early incident in this race um certainly both things could happen um and and maybe we could see the the wildest championship comeback in uh in series history um but it, yeah, it does seem like 
barring barring something like truly wild happening to Alex Pillow in particular, um, this is really down to Pato and in uh, Pillow. I, I mean, I'm certainly like finishing, and I think Alex did a really good job of this. You know, as we were asking the questions of him in the the media center um, following his runner-up finish in Sunday's race, um, I mean, he made a point to say like. Finishing 11th in this series isn't by any stretch of the imagination just like a, an automatic thing to do. Um, we're we're in the one of the most competitive eras of IndyCar that we've ever seen. You know, if you have something go horrible in qualifying, you know, say, uh, you know, you you know barely miss being able to go out on that final lap um, to get the red tires really in the proper position in your group um or you know if you are, are going really hard and and you spin um and and basically you know lose not only don't get to finish the session but lose your best lap or best couple laps whatever the rule is um it wouldn't take much to you know be starting this race you know 15 16 17th 20th um, I, I don't expect that out of Alex. He's been a really great qualifier this year. Um, he's been in just about every single fast six that we've had on road and street courses in particular, but it wouldn't be uh, out of the realm of possibility for something to go wrong in qualifying. And then at, at that point, then he's having to be a uh, an aggressor in this race just to even just work up to um, 11th place. I, I would keep an eye on qualifying on Saturday um, evening for folks on the Eastern Time Zone, I think midday here um, or, or early afternoon in Long Beach, because I think as we've seen these last couple races, you know, maybe you don't necessarily finish in the same spot that you uh, start, but unless you have a, a race kind of like Grosjean did, which um, is somewhat rare on on road and street courses. Uh, it would it is it's very tough to um, to work yourself up from say a you know a twentieth start to a tenth place start. And starting back in that mid pack in those first couple laps is often where uh, you can get collected pretty easily um, in uh, in an accident, which it seems like we often have within the first two or three laps in, in some way, shape, or form in these Indy car races on road street courses. So, um, I think that's a super interesting over. point. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. That. Well, it, you know, when people say, oh, it only has to finish 11th, you're like, well, that's done itself is a difficult thing to do in IndyCar right now. And yeah. yes, he's been one of the consistent guys all season. There's no doubt, you know, and he's done a, a really great job, but, it's still not a given. I don't think anyone just goes into the weekend like, oh, well, we're going to finish here, like, minimum. You know, it's certainly a lot of uh, hard work that allows um, uh, that to be done. And people are like, oh, he's got no pressure. He's, you know, he can just go and drive around. Like, no. You know, it, it is amazing in how IndyCar racing quickly your day can turn upside down you know, go from being really good to not so good and, you know, vice versa. So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody in the championship hunt has got a lot on the line, a lot they're fighting for. Um, and albeit he has a, a buffer, that buffer could evaporate, you know, in next to no time. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a, a great example to you, Pelos. Um, Chip Ganassi racing teammate, a six-time champion in his own right, Scott Dixon, last year um, following the weekend at Worldwide Technology Raceway um, with a very, very hefty points lead. Um, outside of St. Pete, Scott finished 10th, 10th, 9th, and 8th over two weekends at Mid-Ohio and IMS. Um, you know, with, with four weekends like that, he was really pr- – fairly lucky um, that he had as big of a lead as he did um, because otherwise weekends like that, when you're leading the, the championship oftentimes mean that you might um, give it up there at the end and, um, and it ended up being fairly close. And a, um, a guy like him that after his second place finish at Nashville um, 
was very, very much in play for this championship. Certainly, I think in some ways, I think there were lots of folks. I don't know that I would have agreed necessarily, but um, I think after Nashville, I think there were a lot of folks that were saying that they almost had Dixon as either a favorite or a co-favorite in this championship race. Uh, And he went on to finish 17th at IMS on the road course, um, largely Mm -hmm. because of a qualifying issue. He spun... Um, I think on the just like right before the checkered flag was waved, he just finished, I think, what was going to be his final lap in that round one. Uh, and he started something like 26th. Um, he, I mean, he made up nine spots, which is impressive in its own right. But um, that's an example of someone, you know, that has a lot on the line that you wouldn't expect to mess up at a track that he um, has won at before, has finished second place three or four times in his career, um, and had a an outlier of a race. And, and Scott went on to finish 19th um, on the Oval at Gateway, large in part due to that crash, and finished 13th this, this weekend, knowing that he essentially had to go and probably win each of these last two races to have a shot at this title. It's by no means is this title sewn up. Um, you know, if someone like Scott Dixon, who knows exactly what they have to do, who has won as much as he has, who has won as many championships as he has, um, can go out and, uh, and kind of struggle over these last four races minus his, uh, minus his podium in Portland. Um, so we will see. We will, I, I think it's, a, it's an exciting way for this season to end. It's the 16th season in a row that this series has gone down to the final race of the year to decide its champion, which is, I think, a really great trait of this series. Um, sometimes it's not been, um, you know, quite as quite as likely that we might have a come from behind um, finisher, but sometimes it's also been less likely. Um, I think it's also exciting, you know, that this doesn't, you know, it's not a, a double points format. I think it's nice to have this final race of the year and this championship decided on a level playing field where you don't have a a race that's kind of uh, artificially um, elevated in terms of um, its points importance. And I think, you know, as we've seen all year, I mean, this, the season has had twists and turns um, within own race weekends. Certainly just about every single race has been really exciting and has been really impactful on how this uh, title race has played out. Uh, and, and I will be very interested to see um, how things shake out when the, the checkered flag flies here at Long Beach um, on, on Sunday afternoon. If you had to pick, um, where would you say you're, you're leaning to as far as who you think will, will come away with this? Oh, Apollo. Okay. How close do you think it will be? Maybe I'll ask you that. Not very. Not very close. All right. I'll, uh, I mean, I think the race. I think the race might be close, but I think you know you'll look back at you look back at the final points tally. Um, you know, and I think shipping Assey racing are such veterans at winning championships. You know, like they all know how to do it in that building. Uh, you know, and Alex, you know, is such an incredible talent. Um, and in truth, if he was going to succumb to the pressure, I mean, he would have already. I mean, because you know, he, he's already been in high-pressure situations. Um, you know, if, if India had gone differently, you know, it would have been a no-brainer. Uh, you know, if Gateway had gone differently, it's just, you know, a complete passenger in that. I mean, he already would have he already would have wrapped it up. You know, I mean, he was strong from the season opener, obviously, because he won it. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's his time. I, I think I would agree. I mean, the as you already ran through now, the, the stats don't lie. I don't think it's really any question that he's been um, the strongest car this year. I think if I remember right, um, he's had like eight podiums this year. Um, the next closest person to him in that sense has five. Um, I mean, it's yes, he's it's been a year where as competitive as, as it's been, it's not like he's won six times in the closest, you know, driver in that sense has been three um at like we we might have some years we've had something like i think nine different race winners this year um certainly wouldn't be surprised if we had a tenth uh tenth different one if if rossi is able to go and win yet again at long beach which i think 
is certainly possibly in the cards. I, I, I will say um, I would not be surprised to see um, Pato win this weekend. Uh, I know their their team has seemed like it has been maybe a step or so off to close out this year. Uh, at the same time, I do think um, he can be a, a pretty strong, solid, aggressive uh, street course driver. And given everything that's on the line, knowing that he really has to win this race um, to have any chance, I, I would not be surprised to, to see a performance kind of like Joseph had last year, not to say that um, you know Pato is necessarily on the same same pedestal as, as Joseph as a two-time series champion already at this point in his career. But it, it would not surprise me to see Pato go out and, and win this weekend with everything on the line. But I, it would, it would very much surprise me to see both that happen and for Chip Ganassi racing and Polo to fumble this a little bit. Yes, he hasn't raced on this course before. Um, but I mean, he'd never raced at Barber, uh, and he won a Barber. He'd never, um, we think where else has he won? Um, he'd never raced at Portland. He won at Portland. So I don't think you'll, you might see some folks make a bigger point of that over these next couple of days. I do not think that that's a, a, a very big factor in all this. Maybe perhaps the biggest part of it all is that um, we haven't raced here with the air screen yet. We have two 45 minute practices to kind of iron out those things. And we've, we've been on a handful of street courses already with, uh, with this car. So I don't know that I would expect that to be a, a, a big factor. Um, but so I could I could see this get down to, you know, maybe maybe it's, you know, 20 points at the end or um, something like that. And that would obviously involve Pato winning the race. Um, certainly wouldn't surprise me to to see Alex again finish ahead of Pato. And you know maybe this ends up being a, you know, a 50 point deficit. And we look back in years down the road and. Um, maybe don't remember quite uh, as much how close it could as it as it was and could have been had the the finale gone uh, a little bit different way. But we will see. the The racing gods will uh, decide how this thing plays out here. And um, I guess what it is what is it about five days from now? So um, uh, as we come to an end. Um, in this podcast, I'll guess, you know, it's been something that we've talked about a, a handful of times this year. Um, I guess I'll just give you one final chance to reflect on, um, you know, going into, I know it's a question you'll be asked a lot this weekend. Um, what does it feel like coming into um, the finale this year, knowing that this is the final time that you'll be working with the, the folks on your number 60 Meyer Shank racing car? Uh Oh, it makes it a little sad, really. You know, in a lot of ways, the guys, uh, you know, everyone at Myshank Racing is, um, you know, such such very nice people. Um, the way we even came together was, you know, pretty serendipitous, I guess. Uh, you know, and I remember by the time I was told I was going to be racing with Michael and my manager called me and was like, just, you know, shut up and listen. <laughs> uh, you know, kind of uh, conversation and I was like, oh, okay, like, I need to at least, like, speak to this guy. And by the time I'd even got his number, he had called me, um, you know, and just acknowledged that obviously it wasn't what I had signed on to. Uh, you know, it wasn't what he had signed on to necessarily either. Um, you know, but we had a a great working relationship, you know, from the start. I think we have a great, you know, personal relationship. And, um, you know, I'm so proud of, you know, what everybody, at, you know, Maya Shank Racing has has achieved in all fairness, I actually I don't think that Maya Shank Racing even exists unless, you know, me and Michael came into working together because I met Jim Maya uh, just before uh, the five hundred in two thousand and seventeen and, you know, he was just gonna be a sponsor of mine and, you know, he then really enjoyed racing and I think at the start of eighteen was when, you know, he acquired a part of the team and uh, you know, from then we've done two partial seasons, now two full time seasons and you know, sadly, although it wasn't with me, the team was won an Indy 500. Uh, you know, with probably one of the best, you know, drivers of the Indy 500 ever in Elio Castroneves. And yeah, I think the way that Automation and Sirius XM have have grown with us, uh, you know, is really great. And you know, ultimately, all these 
things accumulate and you know when I had made the decision I was going to leave it it was the hardest one I've had to make um not because I don't like making you know big decisions but just because I had I had made the decision and now I had to tell them uh you know and that phone call was tough you know having to like tell these people who you know I mean ultimately we'd both taken a risk on each other you know certainly my shank racing was was just a sports car team really when I first met them apart from that one Indy 500 endeavor um you know but really together we were able to grow it into you know I think being an extremely successful IndyCar team and I think they have reset the template on how new teams can come into the series for longevity you know you certainly see a lot of teams come and go but you know the way that you know together with Michael we tried to put the foundations of the team in place was one for longevity, which is perhaps why it took a little longer for us to get full time. But uh, all these things taken into account, you like to assume that people know it was an incredibly difficult decision to leave. Um, but also one I'm clearly excited about, um, you know, to, to be leaving what I have now. Um, you know, and I know the team... Uh, didn't take it, you know, too well. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I felt like it was the right time to to make a change. Uh, you know, like we've already chatted about, and you know, coming into that final weekend, I think you know, I'm I'm trying to go there and just really enjoy working with the guys uh, and girls. Uh, you know, everyone at my track racing gets to have a you know, hopefully a nice send off with a good result. You know, I have a few little bits and bobs that I've had done, you know, for the team just to try and, you know, cement our time together with a little keepsake and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's actually Michael's birthday today, so I wish him happy birthday. That is good. Uh, I saw that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, ultimately it's going to be one of mixed emotions because, you know, halfway through the year, whenever it was when, you know, he said, or when it was the decision had been made and, you know, it had been announced, you know, it kind of, it's real, but it's not real. Um, you know, and after the checkered flag on in Long Beach, it's very real. And I think that obviously brings a lot of emotions to the, uh, you know, to, to me and to the team. But, you know, I think it should just be one where we all should just be, you know, incredibly proud of what we've achieved together. I think I've grown as a driver and certainly, you know, with Michael's support and guidance, uh, you know, was, was given the opportunity to grow I guess, you know, and try to flourish. And I think we've had such incredible, you know, potential. If I was to sum up our time together, I would say it was uh, from a performance side, you know, incredible potential, but one that we didn't maximize often enough, uh, you know, but from a personal side, I mean, I've loved every moment with this team and, you know, it was, it was pretty difficult to, to call him and, him and Jim and Tom, I was leaving and, you know, I'm sure I'm an emotional guy. I'm sure there's going to be times this weekend where, uh, you know, it, it's some, some sadness for sure. But, um, yeah, I'm so, I'm so appreciative and grateful for what we have done together. And I think, you know, that's kind of what I keep trying to say is this has really been an incredible team effort. Um, you know, I don't, I can't think of a time where, you know, a driver has been with a team from the very first race, through to, you know, this kind of uh, uh, journey, I guess, that we've that we've been on. And it's uh, it's been incredible. And, you know, they took a risk on me. I took a risk on them. And, you know, ultimately it's panned out or panning out very well, you know, for everybody. So, um, yeah, it's just been it's been the most incredible chapter in my life. Uh, you know, I'll always be grateful to, to Michael, Jim, um, everyone at SiriusXM, everybody at Autonation and, uh just want to get a great result to really, you know, say goodbye and thank you on a on the on the best way possible, and then get ready to get started on our 2022 campaign and, and beyond. So, uh, lot of lot of emotions, but ultimately, just I'm so happy, you know, with with my life right now, and you know what we've achieved as a team. That's they're the over overriding feelings. Very well put. We'll leave things at that. Um, just to. Quick reminder, um, again, we've got uh, final race of the year, Long Beach on NBC Sports this weekend, not NBC 
um, NBC Sports. I believe that broadcast starts at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, um, all of your other time zones there in between. Um, hope you give a get a, a chance to watch the final race of the year, see how this championship plays out, see how the rookie of the year race pans out, see how see if you know someone like Alexander Rossi um, can go out and, and add an additional winner to this year's long list that we've had already. Um, lots lots to be excited about as the IndyCar season comes to a close um, this weekend on the streets of Long Beach. As always, um, really appreciate Jack um, coming on and uh, and making this podcast what it what it was this year. Best of luck to you, to your entire crew, to your teammate Elio Castroneves and, and everyone on the Meyer Sink Racing Squad here on Sunday. Best of luck. Thank you. And uh, uh, for me, um, Nathan Brown, thanks for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. And hope you guys uh, tune in next week as we break down how uh, this title race and everything pans out on Sunday.